Welcome to Cat Chat, the pet talk podcast devoted to the physical and emotional well-being of cats and their people. I'm Tracy Hotchner, the author of The Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. My mission is to entertain, educate, and inspire cat lovers like you to give your kitty cats the best possible life in nutrition, affection, and environmental enrichment. My co-host is the feline expert, Dr. Michael Maria Delgado, along with other cat authors and experts. The show is brought to you with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, a company privately owned by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian whose mission has been to personally formulate a wide variety of litters for all types of cats, so they keep using their litter box, which keeps them in their loving homes. Dr. Elsie also created his own cat food, Clean Protein, wet and dry foods that are specifically appropriate for a cat's nutrition needs because they're based on the protein a cat eats naturally. Clean Protein is the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. Dr. Elsie's is also the founding and continuing sponsor of my New York Cat Film Festival which brings together short films from around the world that celebrate kitty cats. It would be impossible for me to bring this delightful joy to people without Dr. Elsie's generosity. The fifth annual New York Cat Film Festival will premiere this fall in New York City and then travel to theaters across America and Canada, with a portion of every ticket going to local cat welfare organizations. Please show your appreciation of Dr. Elsie's support by choosing their products, whenever you can. I am back with Jonathan Losos, the author of The Cat's Meow, How Cats Evolve from the Savannah to Your Sofa, because this book is so yummy and so chock full of fascinating ideas and tangential journeys of the mind and spirit that Jonathan takes us on that I had to ask you to come back, Jonathan, because just the title itself, The Cat's Meow, you did so much writing and thinking about cats and their speech and their way of talking either to us or to each other. And clearly, it mattered a lot to you. For It's a great title, of course, but also you made it one of the very first chapters. Why did that capture you so much? Did, did you feel it was one of the least looked at aspects of cats? Well, I'm delighted to be back, Tracy. Thank you for inviting me back. And um, I, you know, chapter two is on the um, meowing for two reasons. One is um, it's the uh, you know it's the quintessential cat trait. When you think about what cats do, I think meowing is what immediately comes to mind. And moreover, uh, my cats meow at me all the time when they ah, want to be fed, when they yes. want something else, you know, and. Um, and to me, that's kind of extraordinary. And so the question that I, I start, well, my initial assumption was that cats meow to each other. And so by meowing to us, they're just including us in their social circle. You know, they've made us right. honorary cats right. or whatever. Um, but as we discussed last time, uh, the scientific literature suggests that cats actually don't meow to each other very much. Uh, that whatever the meow is for, it's not particularly for them to, to talk to each other, if you will. And so that suggests that uh, cats may, as during the domestication process over the last few thousand years, they may have evolved to meow at us as a way of communicating with us. And so that, you know, if that's true, that's an extraordinary part of, of how they've 
adapted to, to living with us. And so that's where I wanted to, um, to start because there's really been some fascinating research about cats meowing. And um, I think there are two particular questions that, uh, that, I, that I wanted to look into. The first is, if, if in fact, cats meow to talk to us in particular, does that mean that, uh, that meowing evolved just recently as a way of communicating with people? Right. Um, or, or looking another way, does the ancestor of the domestic cat meow and other cats, do they meow? And then the second question is, as we all know, cats have different sounding meows that they use in different circumstances. What do those different meows mean? Is there a cat language, if you will, that they use to communicate with us? And so uh, those are the two interesting questions. And shall I tell you what Yes, I want you to, and, and I just want to say they were really interesting questions because they hadn't been asked. I mean, there was the study that we talked about in our last conversation that was one scientist saying in England watching a colony, nope, they didn't talk to each other. That means cats don't talk to each other. It's like, okay, I guess you didn't want to dig any deeper. Um, whereas you were aware of meowing going on in your own household. So who was saying what to whom and why? And I think the fact that you asked those questions is really important because we can't assume anything about silence. I mean, part of it could be that the cats weren't even encouraged to. I mean, think how many people, if you live with the Siamese or Siamese relatives, you can't shut them up. I mean, that's kind of mm. been established. But I think, and even with dogs on a different level, vocalization other than barking, but cats with vocalization that are forms of meow, if you talk to the cat and even mimic some sounds that a cat makes, does a cat want to then try and figure out how to have that conversation with you? That's sort of the next step from what you were doing was, well, when are they talking and what are they trying to say? But I think if we don't encourage it or it kind of bring it out of a cat, that might be willing to have something to say, then he's going to stay silent. I mean, was that one of the things that you thought, that it, part of it has to do with how welcoming to vocalization of a, a setting is? Yes, um, I, a- absolutely, because communication is, is, a, is a two-way street. Mm-hmm. And so what role exactly. does... Oh, a- a- yes, yeah, so that, that was part of the question. And as we'll see, it turns out it's a critical part of the question. Yes, um, so our, the first question, it turns out that there are many species of small cats, you know, ocelots and bobcats and lots of cats that no one has ever heard of, like the tigrina and the oncilla and the Bornean bay cat and so on. Uh, it turns out they all meow. <laughs> small cats meow. So nice. the domestic cat did not invent the meow. But uh, a survey of zookeepers showed that they do not meow to people. Um, that they, you know, even even zoo cats that are friendly to their keepers, they don't meow to them. And then there, uh, the particularly most important cat species to study is the ancestor of the domestic cat, and that's a species called the African wildcat. And so a researcher went to the Pretoria Zoo in South Africa, where they maintain a lot of wildcats to study their behavior, to get an idea of what, you know, what the domestic cat's ancestor is like. And it turns out that the, uh, the cats meow all the time, but not to each other very much, 
nor do they meow to people, to the keepers. They were very accustomed to the keepers, but they don't meow to them. So that tells us that uh, the ancestrally the domestic cat did meow, but the fact that they meow to people is something that evolved as part of being the um, as part of the domestication process. Now, this researcher uh, did a second thing, and that is he recorded the sounds of the African wildcats meowing. Yes. And then he did a test where he took people, uh, students at Cornell University, where he was a graduate student, and he played them the sound of African wildcats or domestic cats meowing. He didn't tell them which it was, and he simply asked, uh, you know, would, how much they, how pleasant the sound yes, did was. They li- which one did they like better? Exactly. And it, it turned out that they very clearly preferred the meow of the domestic cat to that of the African wild cat. And then when he did some fancy computer analysis of the sounds the cats make, they definitely are different. That the domestic cat's call is, meow is much higher pitched. And so the researcher suggested that we have a preference for higher-pitched sounds because that's the sound of, of children and babies, and so we're kind of hardwired to, to react to that. And he suggested that the domestic cat has changed its meow to make it more pleasing to our ears. And that's um, you know, certainly a, 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 reasonable, a reasonable possibility. The cat has changed its meow uh, to basically communicate better with us. Well, it goes back, let me just say, Jonathan, it goes back to the idea of a two-way communication. So the cat didn't do it just well. If if I get more smiles from you, then I'll do it. It's really because they got better feedback from the humans when they use that different tonality. You have to assume. Either they got fed or, or allowed into the home or the hut, depending on, you know, what the setting was, or they got some affection, some come in out of the rain kind of thing. They did what worked, and they kind of had to experiment with it, is my guess. And then over time, they kept what worked for them. Exactly. That's exactly right. That, that's the scenario. So that was a two-way communication. They, they got yes. better results with a different tonality. This guy did some really cool research, didn't he? I mean, that, he earned yes. his doctorate. He did. So let me tell you the other part of yes, his research, please. which is even cooler, maybe. And so what he did was he went to uh, people's houses and, and, and recorded the meowing of the cats the people lived with. And he recorded the meows in five different contexts. And the contexts were, one, the cat being petted and it was content. The second was the cat was about to be fed. The third was the cat was being brushed backwards. In other words, this is an annoyed cat. Right. Uh, the fourth was a cat restrained in a room that it wanted to get out, so it was behind a door. And the fifth was the cat was taken to a place it had never been before, which was the researcher's car. Right. And so he got each cat to meow in all five uh, contexts. And then, again, he played those, uh, those calls to college students, and he asked them, can you identify, to guess which of the five contexts they were in? So they'd hear a call, say, oh, in a car, or, or being brushed backwards, or whatever. It turned out that... Um, people were no better than guessing, basically. That right. You, 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 couldn't, you couldn't know what the cat was saying from hearing the calls. And so that, that suggested that, yes, the cats meow differently in different contexts, but what does it mean that the people listening to it uh, don't know? Well, that, that 
that mystery was solved by a subsequent study in England, which took pretty much the same approach. But the one thing that was different in the sect in the study was that they include they included the person who lived with the cat exactly. as one of the people listening. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that people, when listening to the cat, what they live with, were very good at saying, "Ah, the cat's hungry, exactly. about to be fed," or mm-hmm. "Or oh, this cat is not happy." Mm-hmm. Um, but they were no no better than than guessing at other cats. And so what this means is that there's no universal language, if you will. Not, it's not really a language, but it, right. no it's universal language. language yeah. But but each cat and the person the cat lives with have an understanding that uh, I make this sound when I'm happy, I make this sound when I'm unhappy, and so on. And so that um, so that explains that what these different sounds are. That it's a kind of a private communication that develops between the cat and the person, and it develops in different ways for each each pair of people people and cats and so that's that explains why there are different variations and why it's hard to understand what some other cat wants by hearing its meow but Uh, i I would say that your book because this this story if you will this study is so well described in the book is that it makes you stop and think or it should make you stop and think well i've lived with my cats for five ten fifteen years and I've sort of thought of meowing as meowing in a kind of generalized way. Okay, fine, Buster, I'll go get you some dinner. But if you really stopped, maybe Buster has different things that he wants to say, but you need to stop and pay attention and listen better, right? I mean, I think that yep. that the book really fine-tunes the kind of relationship you can have with a cat, and it demands a lot of the person. It's not some generalized one size fits all, which people who love and know their cats, they know that. But I don't think they know that the vocabulary and language could be one that they have just for you. Like we have, you know, with with our lovers and partners, we have our own vocabulary or ways of saying things that the other person picks up on. And people have it with their kids, funny nicknames for them and or, you know, babies cry in certain ways and you know it's a wet diaper versus a hungry baby or a frustrated baby. So I think you really elevate the cat's ability to communicate with us by putting more responsibility on us for paying closer attention, which as a scientist is what you do all the time, wouldn't you say? Yep, you're absolutely correct about that. And it's amazing, the the more carefully you look at things like Mm -hmm. this, the more you figure out, the more you learn. Exactly, and I think that's what is really riveting about the book. It certainly allows you to understand cats better, but just for people that want to understand the world around them better, biologically, because you're a biologist, so that's really helpful, but it just really makes us stop and think, we're all citizen scientists, we can all take in information, we need to stop and pay more attention, and then not have a predetermined idea, leave ourselves open to, well, I wonder what that meant. I guess that's, is that your process on some levels of being a scientist? You can't go in with an E-Day fix. You have to go in thinking, I want to explore this, but whatever the result is, I'm not going to try to control it. That is absolutely what you have to do. You have to be open. You have to be very careful and observant and not go in with preconceived notions that, you know, if you have a preconceived notion, you'll just see what you expect. Exactly. you, You have to... You, and you have to, you know, it's hard not to do that sometimes. You have to, you have to design your research so that you can't do that, so that all possibilities are 
can be observed and recorded. And so that, that's a critical part of science. So I, I agree with that completely. Well, it's a critical part of the, the joy of reading The Cat's Meow, to my mind, is it makes us understand what good scientists do and what scientists do who might go off in the weeds, maybe, possibly, or, or be stumped because when they were doing their work, there weren't certain tools at their disposal. Or maybe they did go in with a fixed idea that they weren't uh, flexible enough to change. I think because biodiversity and what's going on in the world at large, not just with cats, is of so much interest to you both personally and academically, and you want to make a difference in the world, I think your book is also a way to encourage the rest of us to think in more encompassing ways and more open-minded ways about why things are the way they are and how to make them better maybe or keep them from getting worse. I mean, I'm not sure, but... It feels to me as though you teach us all what it would be like to be a biologist or a scientist, and and that's very inclusive. The book doesn't make us feel like you're the smart one and we're dumb. It's like we could all be smarter. Let's go on this journey together. And I'm sure as a well, as a professor, that's how why your students like you so much, because you inc- you include them in the journey. You don't take the journey and lecture to them about it. You invite them along with their backpacks, in a sense. Well, uh, thank you for saying all that, because that absolutely was the goal of this book, to, um, to, to, to present the information, but in a way that's inviting people to think about it and, and think about how we learn what we know about cats, which would be the same about dogs or lizards yes. or anything else, that cats are just a great example of how we learn about nature. It's, it's a wonderful example. I'm hoping, Jonathan, that that this book encourages more people to become scientists, to try biology classes, to not be daunted. You don't have to go and be a medical doctor or a veterinarian if you're studying biology. You could just study the world around you. The world needs more smart and caring biologists, I I would say, given what's happening to the planet. So the planet is very glad for this book. We've we've (laughs) used up our time, but the cat's meow... How Cats Evolve from the Savannah to Your Sofa by Jonathan Losos is a simply delightful adventure into the world. And cats are taking us there. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks for listening. And I also want to thank Wonderside for their support. It's a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your cats and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. A final pause up to Dr. Elsie's for all the fine products they make and their unwavering support of my mission to make life better for each and every kitty cat and their people. If you have cat problems or questions you'd like me to talk about on the show, please write me to Tracy at tracyhotchnerpets.com.